Welcome to the Generic Foiling Podcast. I believe this is episode 60, don't you know? Which is pretty big. We are we are in the studio, i.e. on our laptops, with Mr. Ken Adgate, who is over in America. Um, welcome, Ken. Welcome to Thank the you. podcast. Thank you for having me. You are... Um, I'm really looking forward to this. It might... Well, I'm, I'm bigging it up too much, so it might be really shit now. And Liam's just dropped out, which is interesting. <laughs> um, uh, We've both, Liam and I have, have both seen your bits and bobs, Instagrams pop up for a while. And as I think you've probably been aware, maybe listening, uh, we're big fans of Johnny's from, well, years gone by, but also the videos he's been putting up recently as well. And so you have been good friends with Johnny. We see your Instagram all the time. And then you hear little snippets and bits and bobs and you think, we, we really need to start chatting to this guy because we don't know much about you. Yeah. You seem to have fingers and toes in quite a lot of pies. We'll yeah. chat away a little bit. Liam's not here at the moment because he's just dropped out for some reason, but we'll chat away and um, hopefully he joins us in a minute. Okay. Um, for, first of all, where are you in America? Where's where's home? Uh, Rio Vista. It's um, Northern California. Um, it's um, We call it the Delta. So it, it basically Lake Shasta drains into the Delta and then goes out to the Bay Area. So... So basically, we're in between Sacramento and San Francisco, technically. So, cool. From oh, where we go, he's coming back. Um, from my geography, which is terrible, uh, I, I only actually realized the other day that the AWSI or Hood River is above California, which I'd never actually yeah. realized. We don't really have a need to have a look towards America over here in little old, <laughs> old England. Um, but I was quite surprised to see that. Uh, welcome yeah, back, Liam. Welcome to the podcast. I was I wanted to interrupt you before my internet failed me and say Ketten is our first guest who is also a supporter and member of the podcast. Oh yeah. Thank you so kindly. That meant so much yes. to us. So thank you. Thank yes. you very much, Ken. It is the only podcast I've listened to that I could actually make it through twenty minutes of it. <laughs> yeah. It's very, it's very entertaining. I love the the, the knob the jokes awesome. yes yes exactly well, maybe we'll see what you like after an hour or so because on the receiving end of the knob jokes it might be a little bit <laughs> yeah. different yeah no I, ho- I hope you get a few cued <laughs> i was going to add to your introduction freddie and just say i i did catch the end of you talking about ken's introduction and i feel like you are the person that has been most anticipated by insiders of the industry that we've mentioned that we're trying to line you up. Anybody oh, that we've mentioned that you're coming on to, it sparked an interest immediately and it's been like, oh, that's that's, that's so I'm funny. looking forward to. So yeah. And I think, I think, although yes, there are fingers and pies as we we will come on to, the main stuff has been the insane tax that we've seen on your videos, which yeah. is why I'm disappointed. I asked before we started recording if Liam had actually done any kind of research or looked at Instagram at Ken's Instagram at all. Obviously, all he'd seen was the fact that you make a couple of boards, I think, which I'm sure we'll come on to. Yeah. My main thing was you have the most insane tax in the industry. <laughs> and I, and having just watched uh, the GWA bullshit on uh, Ponte Preta, they ain't got shit on you, Ken. <laughs> Those tax. 
those tacks granted in flat water so it's slightly different but holy shit that was a uh, same as when we just watched the cash video from a few weeks ago where you you sat watching your phone like oh my god the first time i watched i watched you do your tax i was like holy shit that's a level up that's a different i didn't even know it was a possible a possibility yeah, so, yeah thank, thank you for those it's crazy i think i think it came from just a i do all the discipline so I think it's just a mix of all the disciplines came together. And then I, I got used to carving the foil like that, um, basically from strapless free riding, uh, a strapless pocket board with the foil. And you get comfortable in that position with the kite because you got lift from the kite and you're able to kind of get in that banking turn and high speed banking turn. So it, uh, it definitely came from that. And then um, obviously Mike's foils, the speed that you're able to, to generate before the turn really helps the situation. So, um, cause you come screaming like into those things. Well, I was but, so impressed by the speed. I'm watching it thinking, I don't think my foil goes that fast at all. And then <laughs> you see you, you bank over into the, into the tack and I ah, so impressed. Yeah. So, yeah. The, the biggest key is, is for that particular maneuver is to throw the wing before you commit to a, the tack. So, so basically you throw the wing and, and your whole shoulders turn and it's like the snowboarding effect where wherever your shoulder is going to go, you're going to go, your lower body is going to go. So you throw that shoulder to the over, over the top and you're open up your, your basically upper torso and it just basically forces you to do those turns and it forces you to do them extremely fast because of how hard you throw the wing a, across your shoulder or over your head. So, and then you use basically the wing as a pivot point when it comes and touches the water and it kind of just makes you come around really fast and aggressive. So when, when did you hear that Liam, when the wing touches the water that's when you know to come, to come back up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, um, I've never done attack like yours, but what I would say is we have tried, we have, we've gone out in some flat water and gone, right, let's go and do some Ken and Johnny stuff. Yeah. And it doesn't happen, but I definitely, <laughs> I definitely agree with your, your tip is if the wing goes, you go yeah whenever i end yeah. up bailing out of them i'm like oh this bloody thing and i think it's the same <laughs> i can see i've never thought about your style but i i ride um kite foils a lot in the summer and use a super miniature board with no straps and that's just clicked with me and i'm like oh actually i'm gonna i'm gonna go and try with a similar body movement and see what happens yeah something's just clicked yeah, it, in my head it, there i can see the similarity and the style that it produces when you do it yeah yeah, you get good at turning really aggressive and you could come out toe side, you could switch your feet. Um, I, I haven't got to a position where I could feel like I could switch my feet without lift, um, especially in a banking turn like you can with the pocket board. But um, I think that'll be next level for sure. So that, that, that that's useful information. That's the quickest bit of useful information ever out of one of our podcasts. Um, does it help when you're on a Kenad gate board and a Mike's Lab foil? Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's something I think both of us want to dive into. <laughs> it definitely helps. Yes. And I can't wait for you guys to get the AWSI. I'll, I'll have a bunch of boards and foils and you guys give them a go. And I think you'll be pretty surprised on how lively everything feels. It'll probably take you a while to, to get your feet underneath you on the board as far as it's just, everything's going to feel like it's just, it's a little bit wandery and, but it's just because the boards are so light you're feeling only foil. So uh, heavier boards calm down the foil. So so it kind of makes everything feel a little bit smoother in a way. 
Um, but once you get used to that feel of instant feedback to the foil, it's it's a pretty amazing feeling. Before we dive into that, because I have many questions about that, can can I have a history lesson? I want to know water sports background, professional background, because I understand is the day job in the water sports world or is it a hobby? No, no, so no, no, no. I it's, didn't think it's, so. It's strictly hobby. Yeah, yes. so I want um, I want water sports professional and what links you do have to the industry i want the history the full history it's, it's a generic podcast start we kind of yeah, yeah. Who, the um, fuck, who, who you are why, who are you and why are you here Ken? <laughs> yeah okay um well with work um, my family owns a couple car dealerships um a coffee um little coffee place and body shop so so me and my family, my brother, my I, I, son. Sorry, I just saw Liam just start smirking there. Liam's going to start asking <laughs> you. And we're going to divert onto cars straight away. Yeah, 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 yeah. The generic car podcast. <laughs> so so my family in the car industry. Um, and so basically we own dealerships. I run them. My brother runs the back end. And, and basically I got into water sports um, when we moved to Rio Vista. We live right by a river. So. Me and my family always went out in the boat every single night, and I didn't even know about kiteboarding actually at all. So one of my buddies says, "Hey, dude, you got to check this out, man. They're they're doing some pretty cool stuff with kites out there." I'm like, "Oh no, I hate the wind. I I we despise the wind being wakeboarders. We want perfectly flat water." Um, so so one day after my kids got older and they stopped going out in the boat. Um, I went out there and took a couple lessons and I was hooked instantly. The fact that I was able to do it by myself and I saw obviously Hadlow, Hadlow's videos pretty much sold me on the, on the whole, uh, kiting thing. So yeah, I started watching that. Yeah. I started watching that and I'm just like, and then Ruben came around and it just was just like, I couldn't stop watching it. It was, I was addicted instantly. So, and then it just evolved from there. Um, started meeting started getting better and and started meeting a lot of um good riders around the world um that would travel to sherman and ride so um yeah and it just went from there and just i i do it as a hobby so i do it after work um it's kind of my gym um so i basically get off work i have a van full of my gear hop head out to sherman which is only about seven miles um from my house so I head out there after work, ride until dark, come home and do it all over again. And were you pretty into yeah. like as your kiting developed and obviously you you know, you're proficient in foiling, so you must have been kite foiling and were you into the race scene given where you live and it was like massive there as well? So the race scene was never me. Um I was very competitive in golf when I was younger, so I I'm one of those people that I'm extremely competitive, but there also is a point where if I'm not good enough to basically win, um, it, it's very difficult to me to enter something and not expect to win. So it's uh, for me, the racing stuff came after. So me and this would go back even farther, but me and Mike finally met. And my goal was just to be good enough to ride with Johnny and, and Chip and all the all the really good riders back then. And so I was able to progress and eventually got Mike to sell me a foil and then we just became basically best friends. Um, and then we just, we basically would, we, he would bring out foils and Johnny wasn't around. So he, he'd come out to Sherman and we'd be testing. And then basically we just became two test partners. Um, he would build them and then we would go and swap on the water and just, and just keep on 
testing different pitches, different front wings, back wings, fuselages, and it became. Well, it's worth mentioning that Mike is my of Mike's Labs fame. Yeah, Mike, Mike's 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 Lab, yeah. And um, so after that, I mean, he's just like, you got to enter some races. You got to see where you where you you match up with these guys. So I started entering some uh, Chrissy races, and then that's basically how I met Johnny and all the all the boys. So. But there, pretty much how it started. I was curious, just you were saying about coming from a, a wakeboarding background and a boating background. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I remember when I was a young teenager, I was always like, God, I wish I grew up in the States and we had a big Mastercraft and fuel was cheap and there <laughs> yeah. was actually places to use it that weren't the sea and windy. Yeah, it's 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 tough when you buy a $100,000 boat and you only use it for four or five months out of the year, though. That's... Uh... It's that's kind of the rough part, but uh, but yeah, I, I do miss it. Um, but I definitely don't miss putting it in the water, cleaning it, pulling it out, and doing everything by myself, and then having my kids just show up whenever they want, yeah. my wife showing up and whatever they want. So I do not miss that. Um, so, but yeah, I wakeboarding background was awesome. There is something uh, special about that, like even wakeboarding. That's what we tend to use as here for most now. Like you. There's something special about getting the boat out and a few of you together. There's 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 an extra thing associated with that, I think. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yes, yeah. so I definitely miss hanging out with my boys on the on the water, and we would go up to Lake Shasta, and they would rent houseboats, and basically we would we would wakeboard O Dark Thirty, and then we would hang out in the middle of the day, and then ride at night, basically when no one was on the lake. And so I, I do miss those days a lot. But um, but kiting definitely was a, a great alternative um, after that. So I think I've stated before that I've been surprised because wake surfing has just flipping exploded, hasn't it? And I was always wondering yeah. why wake foiling in the US didn't seem, from my perception, to take off so quickly. Is that changing? Like, is that growing quick or no? It's changing a little bit, but I think a lot of it to do was with um, the exhaust coming off the boat. There was there was people having issues like either passing out from the exhaust. So they the the systems now the way the exhaust um, vents into the water or out on the on the sides of the boat I think has really helped the situation of riding close to the back of the boat. But back in the days when we used to wakeboard, I mean, if you sat on the transom, it would be you would get exhaust fumes. You'd feel like sick to your stomach because it's just definitely it wasn't smart to ride right behind the boat like weight surfing. It's just the fumes of the of the the engine so um i think that 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 was an issue back then now i'm surprised that yeah i don't see more people doing it here um you see it a lot in florida um a lot on the east coast kind of thing but in california you see more of wake surfers not wake foilers so right i guess the argument goes if it was perfect surf all the time you wouldn't foil you'd just surf yeah. Same. The the boat is perfect surf all is the time. Is it perfect surf yeah. though? I feel like not not know. everybody can. Own, I don't even know what the newest thing is. Is it a G twenty three or whatever nowadays? But like, not it, it, there's so many good boats out there. It's crazy. Even now. even the middle classes of the the US of A. Not everybody has got the very best wake boat. And I feel like if it's not the very best wake surfing boat, then you can still do more on a foil and have more speed. And now they're doing aerials and. I don't know. I think the, when... the possibilities the possibilities are getting grander now. Yeah, like that, you know, two, three, four. Last year was different to this year. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm so excited not, to see not, where that goes. Easy. 
what's his face? Um, yeah. Is it Noah, the the Armstrong kid that's just Noah Fledger? Yeah, just constantly doing nut stuff. I'm curious. So yeah, it's yeah, it's pretty yeah, it's pretty crazy what they're able to do off that little wake and just the, the amount of speed they could get off of it to do aerials and stuff is pretty insane. It's the fact they're transferring that onto the surf now, though. That's what's pretty bonkers. Those same yeah. moves. Yeah, have you been watching just, any someone... of the GWA Ken the Pontefretta mm-hmm. event? Um, no, I've I've actually just watched little bits of it when like um, you're talking for for wing wing stuff. Yeah, or yeah, for... the wing event just now. No, I haven't. I haven't had the chance to check out the newest one. At any time, like Chris McDonald's post something, I'll, I'll watch that kind of stuff. But um, I really. How do you watch it? Actually, is it on? It's on, on YouTube their now. They they did a pretty good live stream, and I think they've just released today a highlights video. But the conditions okay. were it was fucking nuts. Like head and a half, clean, big period swell, oh, like cross off wind. It it could not ask for better wing surfing, and it was the surf discipline, not the stupid wave freestyle combo. And okay. yeah, cash and. Um, how do you pronounce the French kid's Mar- name? Marlo. Marlo is. Marlo. Oh my god! It's unbelievable. Just, just watch, just watch the final. Yeah, it's nuts. Okay. Just watch the, just fucking mental. I'll, I'll hit that. But what, um, for winging for you? Then I'm just thinking. I don't know if I've seen videos or footage of you in waves at all. What's like? What's your <laughs> wing journey? What What do you get up to when you're out now? Now, so so Sherman's pretty much a, a river. So you basically get an ebb and a flood. So on the ebb, on the strong winds, they'll get like, I don't know, maybe two foot swell. I mean, it's nothing crazy, but we we get some chances to go out to um, Fort Point, which is right underneath the Golden Gate Bridge um, on the South Tower. And it's a great wave spot. I think um, I have seen, I actually might have seen a, sh- a few shots of you there. Yeah, so it, it's pretty pretty good there um as far as going to the coast i'm like an hour and a half away and it's like it's like i'd have to go with find a buddy or something to go because there's a lot of shore pound and a lot of uh spots that are kelpie um so it's not the best um but yeah i mean i just went to maui and i'm gonna hopefully go maui next month and riding in waves there is just like it's so addicting i just don't (laughs) i never want to leave the place and then Hood River, you guys are going to absolutely love the swell there. It gets it, for a river, it absolutely gets insane there. I mean, very very big, spread out, glassy, um, and it's blowing thirty five, and it just the swells are glassy. It's the most amazing thing. So you guys are going to. I did. I did get a little bit nervous. I think yesterday we started adding a few events that's coming up this year that I need to attend for work, and there's quite a lot of events in September. So I think I could do with. Really muscling down as well, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I don't know how Tom, my boss, is going to take that, but um, yeah, as soon as I don't know if the AWSI event dates have been actually been released yet, or if they're still planning it, or what. But I'm going to have yeah, to. Yeah, I'm not sure. Put it's them in the soon. Yeah, the first or second week of September. I mean, the time to go to Hood River is July. Um, we usually do a trip in July for like ten days, and then we'll go back for AWSI to help us them. Um, but yeah, I mean, July, it's like every day. You're, you're going to get wind every day. In September, you're probably going to hit 70% time as, as far as the wind conditions. So it's still decent time to go, but the July is like every single day. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, 
shit, Liam, where do we where else do we start? I wanna know I wanna know about Ozone, I wanna know about Mike's lab, I wanna know yeah. about winging in general. But yeah, what well, so, so how did your do you have a professional <laughs> interest then in, in the water sports industry? Or is it yeah, what what's the connections to whom in your capacity? Um I just know a lot of people. Um <laughs> I, I, I um, I have, I built 120 boards and I would say, so basically all the riders that we I've made boards for just become good friends, obviously. And, and the industry, I'm basically like Robin and, and Johnny's Batman. So I'm his little sidekick basically to test wings and, and foils against and stuff. So he, he's an amazing tester and he obviously needs a, a, another person that could ride at almost his level. So, so I, I basically do that with him quite a bit. So that's why ozone is, is nice enough to send us prototypes and so we can test them and give them good feedback. Um, so that's kind of the relationship with, um, with ozone is basically just giving them feedback and being part of the program. And they're basically a big family and I, I love the company. I love how it's run. Um, the people that work for them are amazing. So it's one of those things that I'm just, I'm, I'm blessed that, that they're able to, um, or I'm able to be part of the team, I guess. So, um, we'd quite like to, um, uh, I'd like to quite chat to Simon. I'd like to get Simon on to do some discussions. I don't know if you've had any dealings with him at all, or if you deal with Robbie or who do you, who do you deal with there for the design side of things? Um, so Rob before, um, Rob and Dom, and then Simon came on board and he's actually staying with me right now. We're building the race board. So, um, but yeah, Simon's. I mean, he's a he's a smart cookie, man. He's he's an awesome person to talk to. He's easy to talk to, and he's easy uh, to communicate with as far as not going over your head as far as like design side. So he, he explains it very um, very good as far as like trying to dumb it down for for people that don't understand it. Like um, us, like me. <laughs> yeah, um, Johnny on the other hand is a is an engineer and and very mechanical minded and. He's him and him and uh, Simon talk. It's like another language. So um, they have a they have a really good relationship as well. well. Hopefully, we can get a chance to uh, to chat to him at some point. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He's a he's a good one, and and I think he's the future of ozone. I mean, I think Rob is kind of stepping down, and and uh, Simon's the assessor. So it'll it'll be very very interesting to see what he comes up with. He's already come up with the double skin. And then his his mind's working twenty four seven on new stuff to work with. Just like I am with the boards, I just I can't stop thinking about other ways we can make it better. So um, I, I understand his his thought process is pretty pretty interesting. So he's gotta be the been... youngest designer in the game as well. Surely, oh, oh for sure. I think he's what twenty one. It's crazy. <laughs> it's it's daft. The conversations we had in Barcelona. He's like, oh yeah, no, I can't join you guys tonight. I got I got uni work to do. And you're like, fuck, okay, shit. <laughs> Didn't get that. Well, whilst we're whilst we're on the ozone topic, um, yeah. we should ask our first uh, uh, listener question because you mentioned coming up with the, the twin skin concept there, Ken Ozone. Yeah, um, you mean you mean the two people that we panic five minutes before we do a podcast and yeah, send yeah, yeah. listener questions, so that... Freddie. Listener questions. <laughs> Quote. <laughs> Twin skin, single skin, or foreskin? <laughs> Are you sold on the twin skin concept? 
Yes. Okay. So this is what I would tell anybody that's written it um, or has a chance to write it. You have to give it five to 10 sessions minimum to understand it more than anything. Um, The the first couple of times we wrote it, me and Johnny both kind of looked at each other going, man, I I just don't know about this. I don't know who it's going to, who's going to want it basically. I mean, um basically is it just going to be for racing um our thoughts were pretty much it's going to be a full race system and the only people that are going to buy it are really the guys that want the best um and as we rode it more and more and then we had a chance to ride them quite a bit in, in baja mexico and we are finding out different things that it does that are unbelievable um so the more we ride it the more we're finding out what it's capable of and the basically the flying characteristics characteristics of it is pretty impressive how would you Neither describe have actually used it yet. how would you describe that to us then the what what are you learning about it still now that is different to what we're used to um so first of all the backwinding i think it's faster backwinding than most wings could go up when i could backwind on the double skin probably faster than 90% of the people could go regular sailing upwind. So I could actually backwind upwind angle just as good as basically flying at normal, which I unlocked that in Mexico. There, It, it was to a point where, you know, when you get in backwind in position, it gets so powered, you feel like it's just going to launch you like backwards. That's what normally happens. Well, I think mine, I, I was about, yeah, that's, that normally happens. Yeah. I don't feel it. It just, it just, it just you get thrown <laughs> off. Straight yeah. off. Yeah. yeah. So once you break the point of it, it feeling like it's going to blow you, blow you basically backwards. If you could basically take the leading edge and point it a little bit higher angle of attack upwind, it, it, it just turns into a, now a sail. So now it actually is working with you. Like you're actually flying at normal. It's, and it's, it's, it's crazy because it's such a clean profile on that side. You don't have your body in the way. You don't have handles. You don't have inlets. So everything is such such a clean um, power delivery of wind to the sail that I think that's why it it does so well um, backwinding upwind. <laughs> so um, hopefully I can do some videos and kind of show it this this um, this season because it's pretty impressive how good it is. I think that um, might be one that Ozone are going to struggle to have as a highlight in their marketing strategy. Yeah. If I'm entirely honest, there's not. I was I, I was trying to figure out how to word that. How how do you how do you advertise that? I, I, I would agree. <laughs> I would agree. I don't think that's going to be a. Do you want to use your wing backwards a lot? Okay, then this is the one for you. <laughs> yes. So, so I, I told Johnny it's a must this year. So we do course rake, racing and it's, it's basically downwind course racing and every port leg um, I told him we'll never switch our feet and we'll just go into a backwind <laughs> for the port leg. And then, so you'll never, you'll always be, cause we're both goofy stance. So we could always basically be right foot forward throughout the whole course through the seven marks or whatever it normally is. But I think that that'll be one that'll go viral for sure. When people see the drone footage of that race, it'll be like, oh my goodness. Now <laughs> they'll see how that would be, that would be cool to see. That'd be very cool to see. I, yeah. I love so. that. That is the level that I want to be at 
in all foiling disciplines where you get to the point where your skill level is so high that you just start messing around. I've been there in other sports and I love that when you're like, when you get to the point where you're so good at something that you start creating fun by being stupid. I'm looking forward to that day on a foil. This is this is what Cash did the other day by trying to get himself barreled in the last 30 seconds of the final at the GWA. Huh. Bloody cool. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, I mean, the, we uh i mess with the a lot of the riders that are that are um that are racing like if there was a race in johnny pretty much wins every race and he won't purposely like slow down he'll like he's like tiger woods back in the day he just wants to stomp on people's throats as far as when, <laughs> when he gets ahead he just wants to just just make you feel like you really don't know what you're doing um so he, he usually finishes a full mark before anybody rounds the the lot like close to the second to last mark he'll just be finished already it's it's insane the speed he has so so this year i was getting basically second for the most of the most of the races so i would sit down on the last leg i would literally get on my butt and ride that last leg on my butt and people were just giving me so much shit so it's just um as I was chatting to people, you know, when the when the fusion came out, and oh, was it the Fu- fusion or the flux where you two basically won loads of races on it? Yeah, so it was One basically the, the flux, and uh, we had prototypes. So there were prototype fluxes when we were racing late last year. So, so. that that marketing ploy of these guys have just gone and won all the events was seen through within seconds by my entire bunch of retailers who basically went yeah but you could give both of those two fly uh, carrier bags and they would still do the same same exact thing i was like no no it's the wing it's definitely the wing it's definitely the wing you got to buy loads well yeah the wing allowed johnny to win by 200 yards instead of 100 yards <laughs> so yeah so, um now yeah, that, it's, that, it's that, that Ken, that's good marketing for Ozo. Now you're in the spirit of the marketing team. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it just allowed him to dump. And it's sad because he's on the best foils, he's on the best gear, and he's one of the most talented people. So you you give him that, it's just like you'd be better off with giving him like like the worst wing and the biggest foil, and then he would probably have to try. I mean. So it's uh, it would be fun to find the worst gear he does. We did some shit racing, some kite race. Not it wasn't shit racing, but we did some kite racing attempts in Exmouth, and uh, I just found it hysterical that Ollie Bridge won six weeks after breaking his leg <laughs> yeah, on, a, on a strapless on a strapless kite foil board. Came in and just hopped off the beach, and everyone else had to go and get rescued because they'd crashed their kites. That and is, be like, oh Ollie, you couldn't you couldn't walk a month ago. How <laughs> how have you just like minced through everybody? Oh, he's too he's much skill. Absolutely unbelievable to watch. He went to Hood River, I believe it was one of the, I believe it was Guy. Um, it might have been. I'm trying to think. It might have been his brother, but. To see them ride or see him ride in Hood River in person in gusty conditions was the most amazing thing I've ever seen in person. I I watch Hadlow ride, and he's a freak of nature. But man, I mean, the, the stuff he's able to do the 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 handle passes and stuff um, in full power position it's it's pretty insane. It's there's so much on a, there. on a on a good day in Exmouth. The, probably the, the first time I ever saw it when I moved to Exeter. And you come down for a good session at Exmouth, and you've got all three of them out there, and the local, uh, the the local riders is pretty high anyway. But when you've got the three bridge lads 
riding together, it was definitely a bit of a shock to the system. I thought, shit, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to land my rally, my one trick that I can do. I'm gonna have to make sure I land that good because you're in company that isn't gonna let you off for for bailing. What I yeah, exactly. what I love about it is that if if some of the sessions that go, so I grew up with the boys and like if when you do have these freestyle sessions, if you were in Brazil and you had all of the pros there and they were watching what, especially Tom nowadays, watching some of the stuff he's landing, like you're saying in gusty conditions, like we get at home as well, the whole of the lagoon would be like fucking blowing up and they'd all be going woo and cheering and all the rest of it. Whereas what I really love about it is sessions at home, you'll just have so many people out mowing the lawn, completely unoblivious that literally one of the top athletes in the world is doing stuff that's never been done before. And they're like, Oh, he nearly got in my way. And they're totally right. He did. He did nearly get in your way. You're completely right. I just love the fact that they're completely oblivious to what's going on. Yeah, they should just they just should should go on the beach and watch, and that's probably what I would do. And I'm I'm a decent writer, and I would just I just want to watch. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, if you understand it, it's just absolutely insane to watch. The only the only trick that I hold on to that I still seem to be able to do powered up is I still do kite loop passes quite a lot. And so anytime they're all doing something, I'd be like, right, I'm going to go as powered as I can and try and land one kite loop hander pass in front of Tom because I know that he still respects that and I know that he doesn't do that very often himself. Here we go. (laughs) Smash, smash, smash. I got one. I got one. (laughs) Well, you gave him some good humor at least. Um, the have you played on the new ozone wing that the riders were using? What's it called? The flow, the the ozone riders. <laughs> oh, we can talk about it. It's in the bloody GWA. The guys were riding the thing. Uh, I I got to duck out. I'm I'm not legally obliged to talk about. Anything there was a front. wing with a big word on it that the commentators were both saying regularly that said flow, and it had ozone all over it. So I think we're okay. Yeah, yeah. I I I, I kind of find out I. I knew about that shoot only about three weeks ago or something. Um, yeah. And I didn't even know they were going to make a fourth wing. It's crazy. So, I mean, it's cool. I mean, they're, they're pumping out different products and, and putting the feelers out there and trying to hit certain styles of riding, I guess, more than anything. So um, I would love to hot lap it and see how it feels. I like the fact that the fusion Okay, yes, it is in a fleet of impressive wings, but the fusion is just in a complete realm of its own with anything. Like it's it's very much ozone have the ability just to try to make something different. Yeah. And it is yeah. so unbelievably different. And I just like that yeah, we're never gonna sell tons of them, but there I think um Ian's mentality was the likes of the Chrono, for instance, when they made the Chrono, they didn't know what it was gonna do, they didn't know how it was gonna perform, they didn't know what was gonna happen, and suddenly it takes over as the fastest kites on the water and it becomes one of the best big air kites they'd make as well. That was kind of by the sounds of things, what they wanted just to, just to experiment. And the fact that they can experiment, I think is yeah. so cool. Yeah. I mean, the, the fact that they were, I mean, we, we saw some prototypes last year and uh, Simon brought some to AWSI and we wrote them and, and we kind of thought it was going to be just one of those things where they just trying to throw some prototypes out there and then they, they've, they pulled the trigger on it to to make it a production and and yeah i mean that takes a lot of cojones for sure i mean it's 
it's a lot of R and D. It's a lot of material. It's a lot of high end material. Um, and you're hitting a market that you have no idea what market you're going to hit. So well, there isn't, there isn't, yeah, there isn't a market to make one again. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Um, for, I mean, for upwind backwind riders. That is, that yeah, is exactly. an up and coming discipline I've heard. <laughs> it, it, it was definitely the talk of the town at uh, AWSI when we were there. So it was, it was pretty cool. I mean, cause they, ozone doesn't really get a whole lot of, um, I guess good publicity. Um, I mean, when we go there, and, and that was kind of nice to see everybody's talking well, about. They don't, the, they don't market, do they? They're, they're not. No. They're not media driven. They're product driven, which is exactly yeah, the exactly. classic what example with the fusion. Yeah, for sure. Um, so it was kind of nice to see a lot of the the different people there going, "Man, what is that? How is it? Can I ride it? Can I feel it? What what is it about?" And, and then you got the boards. People were put stoked on the boards there too. So that was kind of cool. Cool. Um, yeah. Good intersection there then. So yeah, we, we, we need to know what's your involvement with the rise. Um, so me and Johnny and Tebow, um, the head designer for Ozone for the board side, um, basically we gave him some ideas that we felt that were working well on the, on the stuff that we've come up with. And we kind of tried to tell him, he was kind of restricted on on rocker because of the foam thickness. So he was kind of restricted on rocker and what they were able to do as far as the tracks. Because the nice thing about our or my designs and our boards are the Tuttle is such a, I mean, what is it? Basically six inch by two inch section that has to be flat. Everything else could have some kind of contour or, or channel or something. So you have way more options on a Tuttle design board. Um, plus, I believe it's stronger because you have an I beam in the board. Uh, in the board versus um, tracks, you have to find a way to connect it to the deck. So, um, so we were restricted by how we could do the tail. I would I would want to put a little bit more V tail in the rear, um, a little bit more double concave. I'm a fan of some chimes on the side, so it has a nice deflection when you when you hit the rail on turns. Um, and then I'm also a big fan of a, a deck or a half inch uh, concave deck. So it's a little bit better for feel and input on your feet. To By that, up. you mean so, you mean a sunken deck, basically. So half correct. half an yeah. inch lower yeah. in the middle than the rails. Correct. Yeah. And you basically you, you kind of dish it out kind of like a, a miniature bowl. And uh, it just gives you really good input on your toes and on your heels and I don't know. And especially strapless. It makes a huge difference strapless. Not as much with straps, but strapless, it's a huge advantage. So, um, but yeah, it, it was, it, he sent us some files and, and we kind of, he, he basically took our advice and, and then they made a bunch of prototypes and they had uh, Dom and Rob and Simon and a couple other boys in, on, in Europe uh, ride them and yeah, they were they were pretty happy with them, so they pulled the trigger. And they they turned out really nice. And what do you think about the having them manufactured um, at the Apple Tree factory in Europe? Secret secret European factory. I'll bleep secret. it. How do you feel about them being manufactured in Europe? <laughs> I think most I think most people know it just because of, just because of how they're finished. Because that's kind of how they finish a lot of their boards is that carbon look and. Um, I mean, yeah, their, their factory is amazing. The The foam they're using is awesome. It's a little bit heavy for my taste, but uh, the fact that it doesn't absorb water when it cracks is is awesome for the, the average Joe that, that can't fix their own boards or 
um, can't do repair work and, and have to worry about traveling. It's, it's ding resistant, which is kind of cool. So um, I would agree with that for production. That foam is, is pretty amazing. Um, so they're doing a great job. They're, they're open-minded as far as changes and designs too. And I heard they're starting to do tuttles. Um, so that'll be interesting to see oh, really? what, what cool designs are going to come out of the factory on that. Talk to us, talk to us about Tuttlebox then in terms of that. The issue with that, of course, is lack of adjustability, I guess, because you have to know exactly where you want it. So do you have to go through a sort of prototyping process where you've already made a board very close to what you want with tracks, perhaps identified your mast position and then gone, right, we're committing to putting it there for this style of mast. And, you know, generally manufacturers have a relatively similar front to rear foot pressure distribution across their range relative to mass position normally. So like, how does that process work? Or is there adjustment yeah, available mean, through angle slightly by shimming the tuttle? No. So, so I'm a fan of, of designing the board to the foil. Um, so every foil has different characteristics. Every foil needs a certain pitch angle of attack or angle of attack. Um, some foils ride better with the nose down. Some foils ride with ride better with the nose a little bit up. So, I'm a huge fan of just designing it for the for the foil itself. So, Mike's, we we know the angle of attack that we we need as far as as far as where your front and back foot position should be, um, as far as ride height. So, and then once we figured out where the box needs to be and where you need to be centered on the board. It, it's pretty easy because Mike's foils, you basically stand on the front portion of the mass, basically over the front bolt of the, of the tuttle. And so you could design your board knowing that where that your back foot's going to be. So you, you really know where you're going to stand on that board all the time. And then obviously weight will change it maybe an inch forward, an inch back, but that's not enough to change to, to have a problem with riding the board. Yeah. You it's, could adjust that you're, just you're, with foot position. Yeah, foot position is if you ride strap, it's no big deal at all. But if you ride straps, you can, might have to put your foot strap one inch forward, which is no big deal. Um, I think it simplifies everything for the average Joe because a lot of these guys will move their forward, foil forward and back and middle, and, and then they'll have someone try and like, oh no, this thing's all wrong. You need to do this, and then they'll add they'll add pitch to the rear wing and the, and it's just like, it's complex as it so much that it confuses people. And Mike's is just plug and play. You put it in this board. You don't need to you just ride it. Don't worry about anything else. It's perfectly tuned. So as that, long as you ride the right foil with the right board. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Mike's foils will work with a lot of the boards out there. Um, that have a decent amount of rocker. They're, they're very sensitive to rocker. Um, so like the F1 boards have a good amount of rocker and it, you, you see it in the industry. They're starting to go with more rocker. A lot of the boards back in the day were kind of a prone style, flat rocker, flat deck, um, flat area where the, where the box or tracks would be and a flat tail release. And you're seeing a lot of manufacturers go with a lot more rocker now, um, which is, is better too, because your body position, if you're, if your eyes are seeing the nose down, your body is going to naturally put more weight on that back foot thinking that your, your nose is diving. So that's what causes a pitch instability, I feel. So because you'll have more 
uh, pressure on your back foot, which makes your front foot lighter, which causes it to be pitch unstable. So if you have a level board, it, your mind is basically saying, okay, I could stand and be even pressure on the board. And that's why it becomes more pitch stable. I, that's how I feel when I ride other boards that are nose down. And when so, you're referring to rocker, are you specifically referring to angle of the base plate relative to your plane, basically? Correct. <clears throat> yes. And how critical, like when you go really in depth and you're sort of testing back to back stuff, because I feel like, you have this really shitty compromise with winging where you, especially in gusty winds, getting going is such a big factor to the whole operation. Like you need all of the power in the world to just get going and get on foil. And especially if you want to use a smallish board. And then once you're up on foil, Mm -hmm. you almost want a totally different design to keep the rails away from the water and all the rest of it. So like, how important to you is designing something that's easy to get going? And does that rocker make much of a difference to that? So, yeah. So the, the, a lot of the shapers still to this day still think a, a flat tail or a flat or wide flat tail works the best because they're going off the three fin race boards theory. They're going off of the, the windsurfing days when they, they just want a nice flat release in the rear for like a skipping rock, basically. And, and what we're finding is once you become efficient at pumping, you, you incorporate your lower body and it's basically like the downwind boards. You're, you're basically pumping your lower body while pumping the, the wing. So you could, you could use that motion to basically get you up on foil faster. And then you could also use chop or swell to basically um, use to get that momentum as well. So um, we're finding with a little bit, especially behind the box or behind the tracks, having a, a rocker or a, a tail shape that works extremely well and doesn't resist when you're pumping. Um, as far as like when when your nose goes um, up and then the tail goes down, if if the tail is not working with you and allowing you to sink it a little bit in the water, it's going to be pre- preventing you from lo- doing that porpoising effect. And I, we feel that it works extremely well to get going in light winds on those types of boards. Um, what I'm hearing from that is that you've got two designs, one for beginner intermediates and one for adva- intermediate plus to advance, because you have to have correct. that ability yeah. to pump to make use of that, I guess. Yeah, you, you have to, as, as soon as you learn to use your lower body and your upper body to get going, yeah, the, the rocker is, is a must for sure. Um, and then obviously you, the designs that I've come up with are pretty narrow for less rail interference, especially on turns and, and cranking up wind. Um, so that the narrowness of the board is really important to me and the, and the way the tail brings in so that the, you don't get that, um, the rear of the board catching on on swell or on waves or or out of turns or anything you want it, it the least amount of rail interference as possible i feel is awesome that to- um, it's so, so this is a conversation we were having only last week about yes small boards are a faff and getting going is harder and there are instances where you want to be able to just stand up and go but i am crashing so much less on a 
smaller board that is also by design it's maintained the length and all of the volume is gone by just reducing the width especially in the tail and i'm just hitting the rail on the water which used to cause crashes so much less yes yeah and then like a lot of the designs we're coming up with now we're big fans of like a four seven four eight four nine boards um and they're still extremely fun to ride but the frustration level on lighter winds or or gustier situations where there's it goes from 10 to 20 knots and you need something you can kind of stand and get that extra little pump going and not have a sinker so we've been going with like 60 liters 65 liters and basically start to bring them out to 51 52 5 uh, the last couple boards we did were 58 and 510 but they're 19 inches wide um, some of them are 18 and three quarters wide inches um, so they're very narrow so you have a lot less rail interference and then we're putting the box more forward so you're more centered on the board so when you're riding it doesn't feel big it 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 has great volume the length helps with stability as far as getting from knees to standing so as long as you gain length um i think that's really the key and i think the industry is going to probably start going that way um if not this year next year i think we've been seeing it already it's something we've discussed a little bit whether on the podcast or outside but the sort of the longer prone shapes and we know yeah. like even listening to the Eric at the progression project, he's been banging on about that for a while with the, um, I think Amos have got one out similar. So there's definitely going to be a push towards it. I want to throw in a yeah. caveat here and see what you think though, Ken. <clears throat> okay. When you're saying those numbers, that's making complete sense to me when you're saying, you know, like five, four, five, six or whatever. Because in reality, you know, you think about a surfboard, that's still a performance shortboard length. It's still a very manageable size to fit within the critical section of a wave. Now, I, at what point do you think that the transition is made? to? Because the term that's popular now is like mid-length, right? I'm hearing so much about these mid-length foil boards and blah, blah, blah. Now, we've raved about downwind boards and that sort of shape for lighter wind winging and the whole industry has been raving about that but there is absolutely no doubt that if you do end up taking those boards into bigger swell or into good quality waves if you are not tracking along the wave at quite an angle you will catch the tail on them like it 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 just happens loads whereas the numbers you're saying like five four five six that's just not a thing so like what length do you think that that transition happens where the tail starts to become annoying? Because I worry that brands are going to oversell this feature as their next marketing trend and not explain that caveat. Did that make sense? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would say the design of the tail is a big factor. Um, so a lot of the downwind boards are very aggressive chimes. They're basically side, they're like a, a vertical wall. Um, and when you touch down, it's it directs you so much downwind, or, or it basically turns into a V hole. So oh, like acting wherever, like a fin. Exactly. So so for touchdowns, it's the most annoying thing in the world because it straightens you out. If you if you're able if you're banking and you touch down, it wants to flatten it out and straighten you, which is the most annoying thing. That's why I I I won't even ride a downwind board if it's that light. It's just not worth it because if you touch down while you're riding, having fun on a swell or whatever. It's just, it's just the most annoying thing. It's, it def, definitely doesn't rebound off the water like it should. And it's, it's not made for that. That's why. So, yeah. 
Um, I think as long as you you designed your tail so where if it does touch down or does get rail interference, that it, it deflects you in a way where it doesn't doesn't push you downwind or, or it doesn't point you in another direction when it, it, it's not so severe. Um, so I think as long as they design the tail to work better, I think it, it, it you could probably get away with, I think it, uh, under a six O board, basically six O and under, I think would be probably the max. Um, that explains so. what you've just said now solidifies or what am I thinking? What you've just said explains the tail shape of the, um, the skipper wing to me very well. When I think about that apple tree skipper wing and I just think of video after video of Vega calling it a pebble and I'm like, yeah, but that's what, that's not really explaining to me why it's working. Whereas actually the tail in specifically based on what you've just said, the tail of that skipper wing makes a lot more sense to me now. Yeah. Cause and like, like if you, if you've seen some of Johnny's videos, the back of his uh, sup board and he touches on rail all the time, but his back of his sup board is rounded at the back instead of a hard chime. Cause he kind of wants it to deflect, but not, redirect him so so he we're still fine-tuning it like the the v-tail on the newest board that we just did the last two or three of them we're thinking that we could probably get away with something like that on the next downwind board so we're going to try that on a downwind board with that sail same tail shape um to see if that helps with that deflection of um basically when you hit the water it's not going to want to straighten you out so you it's going to be more playful i guess when you when you do touch down or hit that back rail. But presumably you can't have it just like fully rounded because that's what a lot of it was in the early days. And that presumably just keeps all of that water flow sucked onto the rail. And there must be some design element to promote the release of water. Correct. Yeah. I mean, um, it's a balance of the two. The rounded rail, yeah. The rounded rails basically keep you on the surface, which is not the best. It, it'll eventually release, but it's probably not a controllable release. It's probably going to stick you a little bit and uh, it'll basically allow you to ride the rail, but it won't allow you to peel off the rail when you probably want to. Interesting. So who, um, when you're talking about that, Ken, and that's obviously board building from your own standpoint, from your own playing around, you're saying we, who, who's we with your own boards? Um, so me and Johnny pretty much talk about a lot of the different shapes. So, so we're, we're involved in like, I'll, I'll, he'll, he'll design an outline. I'll design an outline and we'll kind of go, okay, let's try this. Or I'll give him an idea while I'm shaping the tail. I'll, I'll draw some lines. I'll send them over some information. I'm like, Hey, what do you think about doing this? But the V tail, the aggressive V tail, he wasn't a big fan of Mike wasn't a big fan of it, but I made one and they both agreed that it works extremely well. So we just started tampering with that. Um, and now we're starting to do V noses, which is kind of cool. So we're doing a twisted V nose into a twisted V tail. Um, and that's that's working extremely well too for water flow, uh, entering the front of the board and exiting the rear of the board. So, um, Where are people, where can people see your designs primarily? And are you the sort of person where, because this is a bit of a hobby, you're making the stuff, you've got more people that want them than you can deliver because you're making them yourself. Is it that sort of situation? Yeah. So it's a, it's a hobby. It's a, it's a hundred percent hobby. And, and the goal was just to build a couple boards and it became an addictive hobby. And, 
when you got Johnny and Mike and, and a lot of these guys that are around here and I'm one of the very few that make boards set up for Mike's foils. So, so it, obviously there's a lot of people that have Mike's stuff so that the list gets pretty big and you almost feel like, it almost like, I feel like a doctor, I'm obligated to help the patients if they're in need. <laughs> so, um, so that's basically how I look at it. I, I, I do enjoy it a lot and I love, I mean, there's, there's not a better satisfaction than seeing one of your friends or somebody, you know, enjoying something you built. So it's that, that part is pretty awesome. We made that analogy last week, didn't we, Freddie, about the various scales of drug dealer within the foil industry, <laughs> with foil drive being the heroin distributors. And, uh, you know, the, the... Mike, Mike is definitely that for us, for sure. <laughs> oh, he's full blown heroin. I was going to I was going to oh, see yeah. if you were classified as a different drug level. But if you want to go, no, no, it's, hard it's, stuff. Uh, it's, Mike, it's a... Mike might well be that be the hard stuff. Ken might just be the weed dealer. Back in the day, Mike would allow us to try his foils, but then he would want them back. And it was just the most terrible feeling like oh my god how am i ever going to go on my stuff like i was riding the sword or sword two and you after you ride a mic slab it's just like you can't it's it's so hard to ride anything else it just ruins you for life so that part is is why it's like a drug dealer it's like he'll he'll allow you to try it but then well get on the waiting list it's 160 uh people deep and basically you'll have it in a year and a half and it's just like oh my god so I'm lucky enough that that I'm in the inner circle now. So it's not. But yeah, if you're out of the out of the circle, the oh my god! <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> um, so so what? So I would worry if I listened to the first bit of this that these foils of Mike's lab, if we're moving on to that, would be like super good in flat water. But if you're all riding in this river bay that they might not be as good for the waves. But Freddie and I absolutely love watching Johnny's sup foil videos in the waves. Yeah. And presumably yeah. it's all Mike's lab gear. Yep. So yep. like if I'm, if I'm having a dark day, all I need to do is watch those oh, fucking videos. Unbelievable. <sighs> so like, where are they doing the testing? You know, does the development look particularly different between your flat water blasters and the wave stuff? And is that Johnny as well? And what does that picture look so, like in the surf? Yeah, so it's it's a new. I mean, a lot of the prone guys down south are starting to get the seven hundred and the six hundred. The seven hundred is more of a surfier style. Um, the eight hundred pumps extremely well, so that's what Johnny pretty much rides in the surf is an eight hundred. Um, but the new seven hundred is is a lot more. There's a lot more roll to it. Um, a lot more um, low end it kind of it's, it's just a different style because most of mike's wings are kind of a racing style background so it the stall speed is is pretty abrupt usually um but the newer stuff he's he's changing where the the stall speed is is very predictable and the pumping's getting better the the roll is better uh he's working on a new 825 which i think that's going to be the ticket for for swell riding for prone so but he does have some guys around the world that are proning it. And um, a lot of towing guys are riding like the 340 and the 540. So the stability is what these guys want for that kind of stuff. It's, they want to be able to send it down a wave and know that the foil is going to kind of do what it's supposed to do and not do anything. This is what we were um, 
I saw, not that I've read it that much, Liam, but the messages you were talking about today with Charles from F1 about Leon's foils. Yeah. Because obviously, as we as we mentioned, Ken, we've just watched um, the GWA at Ponte Preta and, and it's it's a good eight to 10 foot swell. Like it's meaty, meaty swell. It's very, very fast. Yeah. And even the commentators uh, talking at the time that they're all on five or 600 square centimeter foils at the time. And then there's this young British lad, Leon out there doing phenomenally well, but he was, he was on a what? He was on a 430 escape. So it's like the F1 kite foil, but a 430 and he was complaining about it. And even he's been. Yeah. Off the, off the back of the event, apparently Leon's dad was like messaging Charles and asking about cutting, if he's going to cut the tips off the front wing, how he does so to make it smaller just how small it's all going yeah it's pretty crazy like mike came up with or or stefano came up with a 340 idea and they sent us one and i mean it's it's unbelievable it's i mean it looks so small it doesn't look like it should work but uh it's pretty impressive and i think laird hamilton has it right now so he's i think he's trying in those big waves but what does the tail um, even look like on that is it just like a a matchstick no, no. So that so the tail is basically like um, the same tail they're putting on the the race foils, um, but the front wing is extremely small. So there's so little of resistance, and it's so quick. Um, it's just one of those things that there is no rev limiter on it. It's it's amazing how fast it could go. I bet um, that's when board design comes into it again, because you must start getting into the territory where you've got a. 50 knot takeoff speed or something surely and you've actually got to have a board that's easy enough to get towed up onto foil well sure yeah. if you just got a jet if you've got a jet ski you just use a plank of wood <laughs> <laughs> pretty much yeah i mean the high speed touchdowns i would be i would want to concentrate on that if i was riding those big gnarly um waves basically because there is times you t- do touchdown and you want something that's not going to rebound too much but also not going to stick at all. So it's, that would be that'd be a tough one to design. Maybe just coat um, it with some extremely hydrophobic coating and see whether that helps. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, if you you're doing do, uh, if you're doing ceramic, fifty or sixty, ceramic coating works really well. So we've been ceramic coating the bottom of the boards, and that works pretty well. Just the board or the foils too? No, no, just the bottom of the boards. Interesting. I don't know whether my my latest board that I made. I'm not quite sure the surface finish is um is sufficiently good, whereby any form of coating, ceramic or otherwise, would make any benefit. <laughs> it's currently heavily textured, is how I would describe it. Yeah, you definitely got to smooth it out, and uh, it definitely helps. the the rough The rough finish on the bottom, or if if it's a primer spray or something, it it definitely not helping the situation you're saying i need to get my my, my buffing polish out and yes yeah, yeah. grab grab some 1000 two or 1500 3000 and then Man, i didn't even get to out. 240 ken yeah that's basically what i do i, I start with three 340 600 800 um thousand fifteen hundred three thousand and that's how i finish my boards and that's epoxy finish so and then some of the boards i i actually take to our body shop and and paint so um, that's another level and a, a basically a cheating level but those are fun to, to mess with what you reckon you actually get a better surface out of that oh yeah you get an automotive finish so it's like painting a car so you could 
yeah, you can get pretty. I mean, it could be, it's perfect, basically. I want one. Shit. You got, you, <laughs> maybe you need to take a spare board bag out to America. Yeah. Then. <laughs> put, put your order in now. I'll bring, I'll bring mine with me that you can just put on your wall as a joke. Just, you can just <laughs> hang it on the workshop wall and go, look at that thing. <laughs> what are you riding then, Ken? What, what do you ride yourself? Are you, are you on those 60, 65 liter, five, two, so, five, three or what? So yeah, my, my personal quiver is a 410 by 18 and three quarters, um, which is about 43 liters. And then I have a 60, basically 59 liter, which is five, one and a half by 19. And then I have this new one we call the Sunrise. And that one is a five, this is a winter board. And this is a five, eight by 19, which is about 68 liters. So is that your crappy wind, you know? That's, that's my this is that's my winter time i'm in the bay and it's ebbing seven knots or four knots or five knots whatever it does uh, underneath the golden gate and that's the the safe board i would say yeah <laughs> what that looks like a hectic spot yes yes it's not forgiving um yeah you could get that down it, really fast so it's, it's does, a it, very claim, does place. it claim victims so they are they rescues oh, yeah. there Oh yeah. Yeah. The, the coast guard stays busy there for sure. Um, in the summertime, you'll get the fog that rolls in and the wind will be good on the, basically on the inland side of the bridge and on the outside, it would be fog and there won't be as pretty much any wind. So if you get ebbed past the wind line, um, it basically, you just, you just keep going out to see. So, so you always want to ride with somebody that, that, a buddy or, or tell somebody where you're at, what gear you're riding, what color gear you're riding. And, and pretty much everybody kind of just make sure everybody's off the water and make sure check the cars and in the parking lot and see who's out there. And so, love a yeah. sketchy spot. Love them. That sounds, yeah. yeah I mean, but We'd all just laugh at each <laughs> other. I remember when Chris, um, <laughs> when Chris got admittedly he was getting washed inland, not out to sea, but we had a session last year where a friend of ours just got, washed in around this headland where there's like a bloody big hill in between basically next stop was a, we knew it was at least a kilometer and a half away and we're just like ah, ah, it's getting dark ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a little bit more dangerous here because uh yeah hypothermia and stuff so it's uh yeah and and, and it's it's sharky so yeah it could be a little what bit what sharks do you get there what sharks do you get where you are? For the listeners' benefit, I put a, a slow cooker on before this, and I was using a lot of chili, and I've just rubbed my eye. <laughs> <laughs> At least it's not jalapeno uh, grease. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, we get we get great whites and stuff, um, and then it's it's basically a river mouth because you got fresh water that's pumping out to the sea, so um, they come in. You don't see a whole lot of them, but. Uh, I definitely wouldn't want to be sitting in the water for five or six hours out there. I got quite a good shark story. So I used to work abroad and um, we used to organize like downwinders. And the sort of clientele we had were, they were nowhere near good enough as this was kiting days, like winging wasn't a thing yet. 
And like the clients were never good enough to actually do the downwinders that we did. It was kind of cross off and it was quite a long one and it was middle of the Caribbean islands. There was no real stop offs along the way. Like there was nothing to stop at if you didn't do the whole thing. And um, I, I talked my then girlfriend into it at the time to come with us. She was also not of the level where she should have been doing this downwinder. And uh, it was one of the first ever downwinders that I, we used to see like nurse sharks all the time and like little white tip reef sharks and stuff, but nothing serious. And we were barely two kilometers into this probably 15 kilometer downwinder. And I see quite a sizable bull shark, which I got quite excited about, immediately rode over to her and was just like, look, look, look over there. There's a bull shark. Now I'm a competent kite surfer and I'm just riding around. She's still like bumming into the water every 20 meters (laughs) trying to get going. It's like, why the hell did you tell me that? that, I'm going to leave you now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. Oh my um, I want... Whereas the most I was scared of here was a sunfish in Nuki <laughs> Harbour. They get big, and that scared me enough. Yeah, it was fucking huge. <laughs> I had this like I had this like split split second panic, and then realised what it was, and I was like, "Oh no, no, I'm good. I'm okay. I'm also in Nuki, so I'm not going to get eaten by a big shark." You might get done over by an angry seal, though. They get quite, you know, yeah. when there's groups of them. Um, I want to ask, whilst I've got the opportunity to do so, you keep emphasizing light, light, light with boards. And yes. I'm in I'm in the Facebook groups of board builders and all the rest of it. And there's there's a lot of people that are coming up with as many creative ideas as possible to make boards lighter and lighter. But I guess you're always as a as an amateur board builder you've always got this compromise between obviously I want it light and the chances are if you do a half decent job, it's probably going to be lighter than any production thing anyway. But you just you also yeah. don't want to make a foil box that is going to fail and then lose quite an investment. Correct. Where, There's a, definitely a fine line. Yeah. Um, yeah, you just basically have to find it. Um, <laughs> I mean, brilliant. So I need to find a gong, a cheap gong as a sacrifice. <laughs> is that what you're telling me? And then I can... Keep making weaker really boards found, till I lose it. We haven't really, I haven't uh, wanted to go to that next level where that you start really making it fragile. Um, and they're pretty, they're pretty much right at the point where you, you, you probably should make them any less reinforced. Um, so uh, I think having a seven pound, <clears throat> seven pound, eight pound board is ideal for like a 60 liter. Um, but the biggest thing I would say for board builders is try to just keep the nose light. So try to maybe do single layer in the front section of the board where the nose is and then single layer underneath um, where the nose so is. That, because... That's where I put my handle. Yeah. <laughs> that or my face through. So I need, oh, like, yeah. I need like four layers up the front. That's that's another reason why I hate hard handles is is the uh, is the fact that it, yeah you you have a big chance of damaging the nose of your board. That so I followed exactly that philosophy um, to my detriment on the old board only because by the time I damaged it I didn't care enough about it to even bother repairing it properly. But on the new one I yeah. followed that same philosophy whereby it is only a single um, a single layer of carbon cloth over the nose, uh, but. I think that I was following the philosophy of with the tail section and with the reinforcement of the tracks, 
I guess I was thinking, well, the stiffer you can make that, I wasn't even thinking about it from a risk of loss perspective because I'm like, this new one that I've just done, I've got better at it. I've learned from my experience. So I know it's going to be better than my previous board and the previous board has stood up to a couple of years worth of abuse and there's no sign of any movement in the tracks or the foam or whatever. Um, yeah. I've even done inappropriate jumping on it and I don't normally do that. So I'm like, fine. But I guess my... Inappropriate mo- jumping. Well, all jumping is, is inappropriate. Is that what we're calling Freddie. it now? <laughs> um, <laughs> Happy. Sorry, yeah, jumping. Inappropriate jumping. So... But I was thinking to myself, the stiffer I can make the tracks in the board, presumably I'm going to get a better feeling, a more direct input. Or do you think that I'm chasing diminishing returns? Do you think that by the time you've made it stiff enough where it ain't going to snap out, it's already the the weight gain is better than the feeling gain of it being like super stiff and strong? I think it, it, yeah, if you can keep it light, you're not really going to feel the stiffness like you're probably th- thinking you're going to feel. Um, Nothing like you it, would in a mast, for example. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the, the lightness, you're going to really feel foil. You're going to feel, it, it, it's sometimes the boards, I mean, if it's really light, you actually feel the wings flex. Um, so you, you, you're going to feel that feeling more than you're going to feel the stiffness of the board, I feel, if it's light. So, so in reality, um, if I'm doing a good job of melaminating and, yeah. you know, I'm I'm vacuum bagging it and I've made sure it's all adequately wet, what we talking? Two two patches over your additional sheet over the whole board's enough, staggered? If I'm using, uh, I don't know what so, six ounce translates to. I think six ounce carbon's like 180 gram. And I, so I think I must be using seven, eight ounce. So, so on... So you're you're on your tracks. Are you are you putting a track box in? So it's it's to the deck. I make no? my own. So I'm routing out. Yeah. I'm I'm buying eighty kilo PVC, and then I'm okay. making my own connection. So I'm setting the I'm setting the tracks in those only only with glue or epoxy, whatever's at hand, and then I'm connecting okay. the PVC to the top sheet. Okay. Um, like, so that's fully connected. And I've done that differently in different ways on different boards in terms of different surface areas connected to the top sheet. But yeah, so the tracks okay. are in 80 kilo PVC, which is connected properly to the top and is fully exposed on the top when I laminate it. And then what uh, what what density foam are you using? I think it's maybe like, I think it's 20 kilos EPS. Uh, which is like, well, I don't know that. Uh, like one. Ooh, what, one what do you one work half in pound? pounds to foot cube? Uh, yeah, pounds. Let's have a look. Yeah, pounds. Um, four, forty-four pounds. Twenty kilos is forty-four. Yeah, but then pounds. It's, per, it's cubic meters <laughs> to two cubic feet. That's oh fuck it! I, I tried. I tried. <laughs> so I just so wanted like, one little involvement in that conversation, and I couldn't <laughs> even get that right. Um, so the other thing I would recommend is running the H80. Um, how far in front of the tracks towards the nose are you running that? On the the, the, the foam, on the prone board. Well, the prone wing board I did not a lot. In fact, I can show you now. I've got the I've got I've got the down the downwind board I've done. I can't get my video back up. I don't know why, but the um. The downwind board that I've just done, it's it, it stretches a really long way up. So what I've done is the tracks are going to sit in individual cassettes that are um, probably like 50 mil deep and like 75 mil wide. So like, uh, what's that? 
So like three inches wide and like two inches deep as one section, but they're going to be sandwiched into each track is going to have one beam that's one inch thick that runs deck to to base and runs pretty much the full length of the footbed area. That's on this downwindy board oh, wow. I'm doing. So like quite okay. a long way up. Only only a one inch strip that's connected to the top of the the the, the, the track inserts. But yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's a good amount. Um so like I'll run my Divinicel. We call it Divinicel here. It's a H one hundred, which is I guess a hundred instead of eighty, it's a hundred. Um so it's like considered six pound foam here. And I run that um basically about eleven to twelve inches in front of the tracks going um, towards the nose of the board to distribute the load. So um, if you ever get a chance of riding or seeing a inflatable um, foil board, um, if you have an uh, ability to look at the underneath of the board while someone's riding it, you'll see the compression um, basically going as like a rainbow, a half circle basically going forward. Round and the you front can see of that where yeah, you can see where the load is of the foil, and it basically goes out like a like a like a moon shape, um, where it just goes out towards the nose. So, it, the more reinforcements you have in front of the box is better. Um, so. so, do you think that that a decent job of that PVC or Divinacell reinforcement, like doing that properly and having that stretch a long way up to the nose and making sure that that's covered? by reinforcement is almost more important than just extra layers of carbon. Correct. Yes. That's I would agree with that. Yes. What I did. Yeah. I, because sorry, go on. No, no. Because yeah, the foam, the foam is so weak that, that if, if you're depending on the foam, the foam is going to s- basically um, absorb whatever reinforcements around it. So if you're able to have a very strong um, PVC that, that basically extends a lot longer um, it, it just distributes the load and doesn't put so much pressure on that one pound or one and a half pound foam, which is basically has no strength value at all. Yeah. I'm really, so. imp- I'm surprised at how strong this PVC is. Like I'm buying it in big, big one inch thick sheets. And then I'm like gluing that together. And so it's three sheets thick. That stuff's rock solid. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll send you my layup that I've been doing and you should just compare it against yours and see what, see what it is. But that's basically, this is our latest layup. And, and I have, I do run, uh, a basically sleeves of S class, um, which is basically 3.9 ounce S class. I'll run two layers on top of the carbon on all of the hard edges on the nose and on the tail as basically ding resistant slash anything i have a lot of hard edges um with the chimes and with the the tail section is all a very very sharp um angles so they're they're prone to have <clears throat> have cracking if you don't have basically built up extra layers in that area oh, so but for you... the most part it's just like a two or three inch sleeve um cut on a 45 that you're able to basically just put over your carbon as you're bagging it or wet laying it and is that sacrificial through sanding or does uh, you do, I presume your, your glassing's probably a lot better than mine. So is it just, it, so, it does remain in place even after a bit of fettling? Yeah. So, so it's pretty interesting. Like I'll pull it out of the bag and I won't touch the board. My lamination out of the bag is pretty much flawless. Right. Um, and, and so what I'll do is I'll put um, 410 filler, which is like a fairing filler. And I'll mix up that with some black pigment. And I'll mix it up like peanut butter thick, maybe a little bit thicker than peanut butter. 
and I'll scrape it into what I call um, uh, pinholes um, when it comes out of the bag. So I, I scrape that into the board and then let that dry, block the board until I basically um, basically barely hit the carbon. And then I'll do a hot coat of color, whatever I decide to color the board or design the board. I'll, I'll run a very thin layer of hot coat basically to give it color, UV protectant, and some, I don't know, the cool effect. Mm -hmm. um, but that's basically how I'm able to keep my boards pretty damn light is there's very little material. Basically, the heaviest material that goes on the board is epoxy. Um, so you try to keep that to a minimum um, by adding... Uh, fillers yeah i think uh, i think but, this is what i learned on the most recent one i hadn't done any in a while and i should have spent more time making sure that the blank was perfect and prepping the blank yeah so that the surface wasn't you know any imperfections weren't brought through after i'd done the lamination so i'm going to try correct, and put yeah, a bit more it, effort into this downwind board to really prep it before a couple, a couple advices I would give you is basically you're better off closing your eyes and feeling the entire board with your hands before you don't, don't trust your eyes. Your try, your eyes will basically lie to you and it'll, it'll say that it's perfect, but just use your hands and you could literally close your eyes. You don't have to look at the board and you can just feel the surface and it'll tell you if it's perfect or not. But if you've got um, low spots and, in, if, if you have like, you know, the foam, foam I've got, it gets moved about and obviously you make shape adjustments and whatever. Do you, if you damage it, do you just use glass powder and epoxy to, to do a little repair or? Build it back up. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, you try not to more than anything because it's just adding more weight. But yeah, a fairing filler would probably be the lightest, um, which is uh, West Systems. It's called 410. The number is 410. Um, but that stuff is, it, it sands well. Um, and it works. I mean, it, it works for that kind of stuff. Cool. If you need to, for some reason. I won't ask any more board-related questions. Freddie looks bored, so that means other people I was, might be bored. I was just, I was just about to say, let's fucking move on, <laughs> gentlemen. You can talk about this for all day. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure you could, but I will be going to bed. Hey, Freddie, you need, you're going to need to learn about repairs because of all the bloody holes you put in the nose of your board. I know I, I, it is getting a bit ridiculous. I need to start jumping really far away from the board because it's just getting a bit ridiculous. You can get polarized. Oh no! Well, we already have a sponsor of wings. Oh, that's true. So actually, maybe we need a sponsor of repair board repairs. Yeah, oh, shit, yeah. That's a good. That's a great idea, Johnny. Not, Johnny, sol not solarized because that means I got to do it myself. I need someone else to do it. Johnny's favorite tool is Terraid. <laughs> he just he just puts terrade on all of his cracks. <laughs> hey, um, um, go on, go on, go on. I was just going to introduce Room One Hundred One. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I thought I thought we were at, we were at that time. We're at that moment of the uh, of the chat where we want you to tell us something controversial that you don't like in the foiling. No, Freddie, we don't what promote do controversy on this podcast. Sorry, you can put anything you we, like. We just there. welcome it. Yeah, we just welcome it extensively. In, the game, um, I, I, in room one hundred and one, uh, heavy squared basic boards, I guess. Um, it, Such I, as brands. Ooh, um, ooh, ooh. 
Oh, that's, uh, I'm not throwing anybody in the <laughs> You don't have to name. I feel like if you use a pre, if you use a previous year model as an example, I think it's okay. That's the that's the morality that I'm going by. If you bash off stuff that they did in the past, that's the past, man. Forget about it. Oh man, um, uh, Nash Nash Hoverglide. Yeah, I would say Nash. Yeah, unfortunately, Nash. Yeah. I would but say they've, they've changed. They've changed it, and it and it seems to work. And annoyingly, even that big board shape, Rich fucking loves for subfoiling. So it has got a purpose. Yeah, but for for winging, for winging. Then that's what you're going to go. Yeah, yeah, for winging. Yes. So, which is good, I suppose, that it's changed anyway. The market has changed drastically, as we fucking know. Yeah, um, I think everybody's fighting for the top, which is, it's a pretty awesome time to be in this industry and, and to see what's going on and being a writer is, is pretty cool. The, the stuff that they're coming out with this year, is, I think is going to be awesome. AW size, we have so much new stuff. It's going to be awesome. Boards is a tough one, I find, over here. I don't really know, like, foils, foils is a, a bun fight for the top. Wings is probably the same. Boards, what would you say, Liam? Is what's what over here? What's the best boards? Yeah. In the UK, I think it's quite evenly spread. Use? In the first year, it is, isn't in it? In the first year, it was that fanatic Skywing. They were quite well priced. It seemed to work for beginners. It had that. It had that style that I, I would argue isn't yet redundant, but it had that beginner intermediate style that we're talking about. Ken of the of the sort of square flat tail, which I think does work for beginners at low speeds and low speed foils. That was big. But now right. it's quite split. Yeah. Like you, you, we, I see a surprising number of shout out to Swift foiling that 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 provides my blanks, and I see a fair number of those about like not just Southwest but South Coast. Um, I think you're seeing quite a split of boards now. Yeah, yeah. no one's really no one's really winning that battle, uh, like like they are with the foils and the wings. Yeah, different ideas. It's it's pretty cool to see different. There's people, manufacturers trying different things, which is cool. They're not all staying square, boxy, and uh, they're trying different lengths and uh, widths and deck deck changes, all kinds of different stuff now. So it's it's pretty cool. And then everybody's adding more rocker, which is nice too. So that'll that'll fix a lot of the the issues with the with the foil um, characteristics. Which is funny because they took it out to begin with, didn't they? So are you arguing that a... most boards need the nose lifting a bit, basically? Correct. Yeah, the, the most most boards in the beginning were were based off of prone. So you're, you're in a position on a wave that you don't really want the nose being up. Um, you want it to be kind of pointed down to, to, ride the, to ride the wave. And I think for winging, you're in a position where if you're not wave riding... You, you want a, a level board. You want something that that's comfortable to ride. You and visually looks good. And do um, you think that shimming? You see a lot of guys selling accessories yeah. to shim. Does that is that effective in your eyes? Mask plate I think shims? it's effective. Yeah, yeah. It just it's just another connection that that's causing um, maybe. Um, flex so of the mast th- this was always my argument so i i um i've never really had a go with it like i've i've been into 3d printing for years because it was actually part of my job for a while so i've always had them at home and i see so many in europe there's loads of small little outlets that sell you know 3d printed uh, foiling accessories some of them are simple and it's just stuff to hold track mats but others that are really popular are mast um shims and I've always found that fascinating that you, even pro riders, I'm like, 
you've got a two thousand dollar Armstrong mask that you know they've they've ticked every box to tick and meticulously created this carbon masterpiece, and then you've just gone and stuck a domestic printer piece of plastic under the bottom of it, like the, yeah. That can't I be. I don't agree with that either. I don't. I don't understand that part. I mean, you almost. That's kind of why I feel that you should design a board to the foil um, instead of yeah. Instead of trying to make the foil work with the board, that's not the best situation. Yeah, interesting. So I had one final question that requires a bit of explaining that I wanted to ask at the beginning, actually, and it's related to trends and how they affect design. So like. I've I, my education was in engineering, and whenever you're going down a design route, you would be encouraged, of course, to review other concepts that either already exist in that space, or if you're in a totally new area and you're trying to be innovative, then you'll look at stuff that's related to your space. So, like, you know, if you were going to come up with a new board, of course, there's loads of boards, so you're going to look for inspiration elsewhere. However, do you think that the market and people like yourselves that are designing boards would be doing exactly the same thing as they are if it wasn't for things like Instagram and the fact that our foiling world is so excited and there's so much social media and there are trends within our sports as to what's cool to do online? Like we idolize yeah. shit that's going on in Hawaii. We don't have Hawaii conditions here, but we still idolize it. Yeah. So like, do you think if you were a bit more of an engineer mindset and you looked at inspiration for other people, but your your inspiration came from a Google review of photos and not from like Instagram left, right and center and look at what this rider's doing. Do you think that we'd end up with a bit more of a diverse set of designs over the world? And would that be positive? Or do you think that Instagram sharing information so quickly is positive as a designer? I think it's it's a positive. I think it depends on the designer. A lot of a lot of shapers um, are closed minded. They 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 think their shape works and and they're not willing to to try new things or listen. Um, the open minded shaper or the new shaper, the the guy that's basically like me, where they don't know anything better. They don't know all the history and all this all the stuff that worked back in the day. You almost have to just throw that all out the window and go. Let's let's figure it out for ourselves. Let's, let me see, let me see what works. And, and obviously you got the Jimmy Lewis's of the world. You got Kalama, you got all these amazing, talented um, people that have, I mean, Mike, Mike is one of the best board builders that I've ever met. Um, and you have him to throw ideas off of and he'll say, okay, well it worked on this, but it didn't work on this, but it could work on this. And, um, but yeah, obviously seeing the board building um, Facebook, um, is awesome. I mean, those guys, I mean, some of them are, they're, they're very, very educated people and it's cool to see what people are coming up with as far as what they think works. And it, I mean, basically how I look at it is you'll never know if it doesn't work if you don't try it. So, um, the thing of, of always trying to change something like on my boards, I haven't built one board the same. I'll always try to tweak something, add more V, add more double concave, um, add a little more rocker, add add a V nose, add so thin out the tail. So uh, trying to just change things up, I think is is big the biggest thing. And and being a manufacturer, they're not going to be able to do that. So I think you're going to see the manufacturers basically copying 
shapes of just random people like myself just throwing stuff out there and seeing what works so. yeah that's um that's a topic that freddie and i mentioned and edited out of a recent episode which is the one that foiling is still developing so quickly it doesn't actually lend itself to be the biggest fish at the moment when it comes to product development in some instances like obviously of course you've got resources and r&d and there's loads of positives to come out of size and economies of scale and you know ability to invest in crazy um ideas on the flip side the big issue is when you're the big fish in the pond and you come to market with a new product your customer base expects there to be one in stock on release day for them to go and buy one and if only one guy at the local beach out of you know a hundred people gets to buy one, they'll all be a bit peed off. So like if you're a big yeah. brand, you have to go, okay, we want to release the product on April 24. So how many of these boards do we need? Oh, we need 10,000. Okay, well, we need 10,000. How long is it going to take to make that? Well, now we've jumped back to October, 2023. Oh crap. So we got to get the design finished by October, 2020, you know, and it just adds that time to the equation that yeah. isn't as reactive, like you say. And then especially if, if if people were to do what you've just suggested, then you, you're always a bit behind in a super, super fast developing sport. Correct, yeah. And it's, in yeah, like the designs, have, they're changing weekly, let alone, I mean, it's it, it would be very difficult to to pick a design and go, go with it with production. So I, I do, uh, that would be very difficult. Yeah, as fast moving as it is right now, it's, it's a, uh, but you are, I think you are going to see a lot of designs um, based off of just, just builders on, on, uh, on that, on that Facebook post. I think that a lot of good designs are coming out of that thing. And I think the manufacturers are probably paying attention for sure. I should be intrigued to see what comes out of AWSI. What do you think is going to take the mantle this year then? What's going to be the most interesting stuff? Um, if, if, if you were to guess. Just don't, you don't need to tell us about stuff that you know about. Just Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think, I think the material side of it is going to be the most interesting thing. Um, I think they're finding new materials to work with. And I think that's going to make the sport even that much better, especially if you're a, a intermediate to advanced rider. I think that's just going to change the game level. Um, foils. I kind of think that they're kind of at a standstill. They're, they're, slowly getting better but they're they're pretty much hitting the end i it'll be interesting to see what somebody comes up with there um as far as boards i don't see a whole lot changing i think you're going to see more longer narrow hopefully lighter boards um more 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 basically skinnier tails i think you're going to see that coming um very narrow like downwind tails very good for water release and touchdowns and rail interference um, I, w- I worry if uh, you know all the chat about making boards lighter. I think is all well and good whilst you and Liam are building them in your backyard with the top yeah. top stuff you can get. Whereas, surely if we're pulling them off the production line in China, yeah, and you're also telling them right, we now want them as light as possible. Uh, doesn't feel like it's going to mix very well. I don't think so. Yeah, you're going to have more failures. Uh, the biggest thing is their, their their lamination process is probably if it comes out of the bag or something, it's probably a mess. And they're using Bondo and and uh, and primer and and 
all these different materials that go on afterwards to hide all the imperfections and to make them look pretty. And I think that's where you, you gain a lot of weight. So I do remember, I have a fun story when I was working back in a water sports shop as a kid, I remember a customer coming back with a quattro custom, well, maybe not custom, but a, a the carbon quattro windsurf board, bringing it back in because it didn't have enough paint on it. He wanted a, a board that what didn't have all the carbon showing like the one he'd <laughs> taken away. And I just, I mean, obviously, yeah, they, they gave him what he wanted, but all of us just racking our brains, looking at this board, thinking you're trying to spend two, three, whatever grand on a board to be as light as possible. And you're bringing it back because you want more paint on it. It just seemed like the most ridiculous thing in the world. Obviously not quite the right person for that. I, I, no, I, no. When you mentioned the sort of um, saying that we're using the bet like best, well, I'm, I'm not, but saying that, you know, people have access to the best stuff ready and, and manufacturing in China. I mean, I saw that, um, is it Cobra the big one? They, they've reached what, 50 years in, in, in production or something. And like, I was flicking through that bloody publication, that book that they created to celebrate their 50 years. Like, I have no doubt that they know what they're doing, but I think that yes. the, the the manufacturing compromise, I think, comes from the fact that when you're a typical punter, I literally watched, there was a there was um, customer recently, you know, you watch them wandering around the car park, they're just dropping the board, bashing it into stuff, and they don't expect to have to treat this thing with serious <laughs> yeah. delicacy like i you know i put holes in my equipment but part, partly because of that is because i know i can fix it but like you could not give my board to a customer because look you know you drop a tool on it you drop an allen key on it and then it's got a hole in it and yeah production boards can't be that way they have to make it a bit ding resistant and when they refer to a ding it's not you know a surfboard ding it's a a wally bashing it into a lamppost yeah yeah, and that's why I think Apple Tree is is definitely for production boards. I think they're probably the ticket. I mean, just because of the foam side. Yeah, waterproof. Um, so if you ding it, no worries. Yeah, yeah, no worries. You just throw some solar res on there. I mean, you don't even need to, but I mean, kept just, riding, keep riding. Yeah, yeah keep riding. I put, yeah, <laughs> I, put my, I put put my knee through it a while ago on my face, one of the two, <laughs> and and was like, oh, that's really really annoying, but. I'm just going to keep riding for now because it's still windy and I can. That was yeah. quite. A, that was that was my first like little eye opening experience of. Oh yeah, okay, I get it now. I, I can I would, just keep I riding. Say, I would say the guys that want a lighter board are, are going to be kind of the intermediate to advanced guys, and you basically treat it like a, a Ferrari or Lamborghini or a Mike Slab foil or a. Well, your girl. Uh, you just have to treat it differently. You just <laughs> treat it like you care about it, and, it, and it's. And it's <laughs> And, and and the other thing is if you treat it that you can't get another one that's the other thing so like you just can't go buy another mic slab you can't just go buy another k board or whatever so it's like you, yeah, you, definitely, you look at it differently <laughs> i i find it mental uh when we sell like i really like that armstrong sell their boards with bags like there is no option you just you have to take a bag I remember bringing in some boards with the uh, uh, the Axis downwind boards and bringing the bags in as well. And what's most annoying is I'm now stuck with an 8.6 by 19 bag that only fits an, uh, an Axis board <laughs> because someone spent two and a half grand on a board and thought, nah, I don't want a bag. Don't wow. fancy the bag. And you think, how? 
How? <laughs> How and why? Oh, it's too expensive. It's 150 quid. Yeah, but it's going to cost you 150 quid to fix the board when you've smashed it to bits. Yeah. Likewise, the um, the race sucks that we we deal with as well. Continually sell boards. Now nah, I don't want a bo- I don't want a bag. Don't want a bag. It's like it's a 14 foot piece of carbon, hollow <laughs> piece of carbon. Sometimes. Yeah. Uh, like, where do you keep this thing? Have you got a 14 foot? No, I'm gonna wrap it in my duvet, in mate. I'm gonna put it in my duvet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I didn't. Under, I don't understand that either. I mean, the downwind boards. I mean, the, I would. I have mine, and I, I. They just throw them in the back of a pickup, and I'm like, oh, I would. I would have to bring mine and put it in a bag, and I would just be. I'd probably hold it in the back of the truck with the other boards. I mean, so it's. It's just a different mentality. Most people just. It's just a piece of equipment, and some people. It's I their, get. I get the price because again. But bags are getting annoyingly nice now. Yeah. Um, bag, you know, they cost money. I definitely get that, especially when it's a 14-foot race board. The bags are like 300 quid. That's a lot of money. Yeah. But in, the flip in side. relation to the, yeah, <laughs> the, protective, the protectiveness of it, yeah. it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So it seems like that this will be a tricky question for you, but the other themed okay. question, if you weren't to be riding Mike's Lab foils, you weren't to be riding ozone wings and you weren't riding your own boards and you let's let's exclude unless there's some people other than johnny and mike i'm gonna say let's exclude those as you know you can't just say i want a board made by mike what gear would you use and this doesn't have to be based on experience it can also be i just think that that brand looks cool i like what they do here i like their you know branding marketing riders whatever so i would say i'm very different than a, a normal I guess, team rider or uh, I, I ride everything. So I, I, there's no ozone doesn't say you can't do anything. I mean, they just, they want feedback. So I'll ride all the different wings. So I literally love testing. And so does Johnny. He loves testing. Um, and I mean, there is some good stuff out there foil wise. I would almost say I would stop doing certain disciplines. If I had to stop using Mike stuff. <laughs> that is bold. <laughs> that is really wow. Bold. <laughs> It would be almost that bad. It's just like, it's just like you get used to something that's so good. It would be. So if I never tried Mike's stuff and I didn't have that mindset, um, there's a lot of good stuff. Uh, I would say Levitas, um, F1 has some good stuff. Armstrong has some good stuff. So they they all have their goods and bads. Um, It's just, the performance side is just not there yet with the quality of the mast stiffness. I love that as an answer. I love that. I'm so unwilling to answer your question. I'm going <laughs> to stop. I'm, I'm just going to stop. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, I mean, there, there is some good brands out there for sure. Uh, but I would say those three probably would be mine. And then boards wise, I would probably want to go somebody custom. I would I would probably pay someone to do it and and just do a custom one. But a production one, F one is probably one of the closest things that I would be on. I'm, I'll make your the, board, Ken. I'll make your board. I'll put effort into this one. <laughs> you'll get three. You'll get three hundred grit on the. On a, on yeah, a I'll go all the way up to four hundred, wet and dry. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. That surprises me. You talk about the F one. Sorry, just briefly there. The F one don't seem to get a. No, they don't get a bad they don't get a, a bad rep at all, but I wouldn't have put the F ones up at the top personally. Are you talking boards, Freddie? Yeah, boards, sorry, yeah. 
which shape of theirs are you do you talk do you talk about when you when you think or do you think about when you're talking about that? So so the reason why I say F one is it's probably the closest thing I'm able to ride a lot of because um, Billy, one of my good friends, um, is a distributor for the company, so he always gets the latest and greatest, and so we're we're always switching gear. Um, so it's I, I ride probably the F one the most as far as the production side of side of things. So that's why I kind of bring up them because. Um, they do make some good products and, and I feel like it's, it's, it's a good, yeah, it's, it's really good. I had some, uh, grapevine, uh, gossip and. Well, that's, that's the best kind. Just make sure it's like half true, half false. Exactly. It's, that's it's you know from it's a source who's a third cousin of his mother's wife. And, um, <laughs> okay. apparently Kiahi has had quite an input even though he's quite far removed from Brittany or wherever it is in France at the F1 bases. And uh, apparently he's having quite a big impact on product already, in particular boards and specifically boards for winging. Oh, interesting. So yeah, apparently okay. that's that there's going to be quite a mix up in the future. Thanks to Kiahi specifically with winging boards. So that's quite exciting. Oh, that's awesome. That's cool. Well, that's why you bring a five-time world champion on. I was told. I was told on this grapevine that they weren't cheap. <laughs> that was all. Uh, speaking, of, speaking of F1, I haven't seen the newest wing. How's it look? Oh, I, it arrived today. I got. I got a strike today. Um, it's. It's. It looks great in its bag. I really like the new bag. It's black. That's nice. Um, okay. I, I. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't managed to use okay. it yet, so what I can tell you is it looks fabulous folded in its bag. Yeah, but no, a, a friend of ours, a friend of ours has used it, and um, he kept saying the word "composed" over again. He just kept saying "composed" over and over and over again. And uh, we talked about it last week. The fact that they're in this funny situation where the first strike was a phenomenal success, the second strike was a phenomenal success, the third one was popular amongst good riders, less popular amongst less good riders. And now this one is supposed to be game-changing. Um, Rich loved it, but he said it is a funny one because aesthetically they've used exactly the same colors of cloth, a very similar um, aesthetic appearance. And so he says the the profile's different, like the canopy tension's different. There's all different weights of material around the leading edge. So it's not... Um, the the weight of Dacron from the center of the leading edge down to the wingtip varies. It sort of, I think it reduces in weight as it goes towards the tips, if I understood correctly. And um, and yet it looks very similar. So it's going to be interesting to see, yeah, see how the marketing comes out when it does get released officially. I'm quite excited to have a go. Yeah, Billy just got a quiver of them. I'm excited to try them against the stuff. I mean, oh, I can tell you Ozone's got a lot of cool stuff coming though. So um, I think it's going to be a, it's going to be fun. AEW side is going to be a great time to see all this new stuff hit in the market. Um, so what can you, what can you tell us about the aqueous wings? Uh, aqueous wings are impressive. Um, the best way I, I pretty much said is that they do everything above average, literally everything. They, 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 the low end on them's good. The tacking's good. Backwinding's good. Um, Most importantly, what's the upwind backwinding like? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't tested that on that one yet. Um uh but what they're very the good. Bag? They're, 
the bag is uh, that is a sore subject with me. I, I don't really use it because I I can't fold it up neat enough to fit in the bag. Um, so, right, that oh. does piss me off as well. That can go in room one hundred and one. Inappropriate yes, bags yes. for the equipment. Yeah, you have to roll it up because it's uh, basically like a windsurfing sail. So yeah, you have I was going to ask you what it was like. Yeah, so um, it's a super but, long, a super long bag that you can't get through doorways with. Correct. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. Other, <laughs> other than that, I say I say it has huge potential. Um, the and obviously being able to see through it is amazing, especially if you're riding in crowded areas or going a lot faster than most people. Um, you can see a lot everything. So um, that part is really cool. And they're not overly expensive, I don't believe, are they? I don't know what the pricing is on them. I know that they first, they just got their first big shipment of them, so they are available to finally get. Um, I was able to get one of the very first ones that were supposed to be Frank's or Stefano's, so they sent me a four or five, and I would say the four or five rides like a five meter um, pretty much any other brand. So it has good um, power delivery, four or five, four or five. So What about the weight of them in that material? Weight is impressive. I mean, you would think it'd be heavy, but it's it's about the same as the ozones. Um, so they're oh, cool. they're it's a good weight, yeah. Okay, I think we've um, I've seen someone up north. I hate myself for not remembering his name at the moment, um, but I have seen some footage. So I think someone's got one in the UK. So you got it, yeah. You got to hot lap it if you can. Um, you would think on the beach, you would think it'd be really loud and annoying but um, made out of that material. But man, once the, once it has a little bit of tension, that thing is, is very, very responsive, very tight. Um, and it has amazing feedback. So it's, it's a great wing. I, I, they did an awesome job for, for basically designing something that's no one else has done. Yeah. It was a cool one to see that a new brand popping up with something that we hadn't seen and then getting such good feedback from it as well, which was really good. Yeah. yeah. Ken's just given me an idea for a t-shirt, Freddie. He keeps referring to trying out a piece of gear as take it for a hot lap. I think we need to get a t-shirt that just says take it for a tepid lap. <laughs> I know. I wish we could try more gear. It's like it, 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 people always want to try the new stuff that I have these prototypes. And I'm like, I just can't get another one. So if you destroy it, uh, they wouldn't even let me send it probably to someone to fix because they wouldn't want anybody to try to take measurements or anything off of it. I'm like, I can't let you ride it. Take it for a destruction lap. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it is. It's one of those sports, isn't it? Where I felt, I, I, I feel guilty when I take other people's kit because I know there is such high potential of damage. I don't yeah, feel I, like that when I'm riding my own kit, but obviously like you can put foils through wings so quickly. You can put knees through boards so quickly. Exactly. And, and especially if you're riding in wave spots, it's like, it's hit or miss. I mean, you could be a really good rider and just get caught or hit a turtle oh, or man. anything could happen. So, well, we don't have turtles over here. I think we're more rocks. <laughs> I hit, more I rocks hit a turtle than turtles. foiling. Did yeah. you bollocks? Not yeah. over here, no, didn't neck, Not here. Necker, yeah. <laughs> Not in Exmouth then. <laughs> no, I just hit turds, floating turds. Here. <laughs> <laughs> we got quite a sewage, a bit of a sewage issue this winter, can unfortunately. Um, so, Freddie, I was thinking um, I've restrained myself for a good amount of time now. Ken, I'm a I'm a um, aspiring American with a small family. 
I'm coming into one of your dealerships. I'm into winging. What is the perfect vehicle for me? What would you sell me? A transit van. Nice. Good lad. That's my daily driver. Is that within your your remit of dealership? Yeah, yeah, if, uh, Ford Ford Transit van. So I I have a high roof, one forty eight inch wheelbase. So it's it's a it's a big one. I don't think you guys could even have those big of vehicles there, right? Or or can you? Uh, Might not get that. Uh, I know they do some slightly different shapes. No, we do we do have some we do have some big transits. Okay, but I don't know I don't know how they compare. Basically, like delivery vehicles, but I mean, I, I outfitted mine with a bed and, and stuff. So if I do go to Hood River or something, we usually just stay um, in the van. But it's basically just a gear hauler in the summertime. So it's a mobile garage for me. Has the eco revolution finally hit and Ford's come with a reasonable economical diesel engine or are you still packing in a V8 in there? Um, I no, it's a it's an EcoBoost uh, twin turbo V six. So it's a three point five. Still, still. <laughs> <laughs> you almost had us there. You almost had us. Twin turbo V six. Yeah, four hundred fifty horsepower. Yeah, exactly. Um, the, yeah, and they get it gets around ten miles a gallon, so it's not <laughs> fast. What? <laughs> what? Look, I mean downhill downwind. I know that I know that you only have four liters in your gallon and we have four and a half, but my shitty old Volkswagen's what, fifteen years old and a nice one point nine singular turbo diesel does about forty two to the gallon. Yeah, there's no such thing as that. Jesus here. Christ. <laughs> that is ridiculous. Why would they take why would they design something that can take the two liter and do 45 to the gallon and then go, ah, it's not going to sell over there. Let's chuck a V6 in it instead. We'll say we've That's lost stupid. two cylinders to call it eco. Well, people drive like idiots here. So you have to have enough power to get out of the way too. So uh, it sounds oh, bullshit. good. <laughs> it sounds good. You should straight pipe it. The, the diesels here, <laughs> the problem with the diesels here is they have uh, particulate filters and, and, um, death yeah. fluid and if you don't yeah. drive them enough they don't get hot enough to burn through the exhaust and you end up having issues with the the cats getting filled up with basically um carbon you have to be doing pretty short journeys only for that though like never doing you have to go long journeys. Yeah, you, you got to get them hot yeah if you're just if you're just going to the grocery store or even seven miles to sherman it's just or to yeah, Rock, they are, they are becoming they are becoming vehicles that you you have to have the diesels you have to have longer stuff now although funnily enough um tractors randomly this is going to be a random one there are now tractors that are meeting uh the the emission standards over here that aren't running ad blue systems now so for us over here it first hit tractors uh, a good like ten years ago, AdBlue first hit tractors before it hit any, anything else. Maybe it had been in trucks for a while actually, but before it came to cars, it was in tractors to meet emissions, the EU six emissions or whatever it ends up being. But now they're actually able to produce engines that don't need the AdBlue systems to be able to actually meet the emissions. That's pretty cool. Huh. Which so there's yeah. some something's happening again. Some some crazy mechanics somewhere. Um, I used to work for Land Rover a bit, Ken. And um, I remember going away on these big world events and all these, like I, I did the, the Velar launch, I think. I did a couple of Range Rover launches and you'd have all these cars there and 
you couldn't let the media see that we were having to do DPF runs at the end of every day with about 150 cars because they were just doing such short little loops around four by four tracks that we were having to then take them <laughs> half an hour down the road. And boot it. Every, everyone had to grab a, an absolute hoof it down the road. <laughs> this is prior to all the um, uh, the hybrids that have just come out as well. I did. I always enjoyed that. Hybrids are, I think, uh, a, a good part of the future. I mean, hydrogen would be amazing if they could figure it out. So, are you are you into your cars personally, or is it just work? Just work, yeah. Just work, yeah. Oh. They are actually um, the the Extreme E Rally Championship. Uh, so the Electric Rally Championship that I did a little job on last year, which is fueled, not fueled, but which is funded by the Formula E guys. They yeah. are hopefully hoping to go on to hydrogen power next year. For the entire wow. race, yeah, that's going to be pretty uh, cool. They could produce crazy power. I think word on the street is they still can't figure out how to do it, but it, they are aiming for it. Yeah, and the, cool. the other thing is to contain it, like in wrecks and stuff. It's it's I don't know. It's It'll already be... sketchy with the yeah. with the electronics. I think um, they had a couple of rolls last year, and they all get trained into into the recovery side of things all the farm boys that they employ to go and pick these people up out of these cars. But there's there's like five people stood at these cars not able to do anything until someone's flicked a switch and then given them the thumbs up that they can actually touch it without being killed, Yeah, which is pretty sketchy. I think they've got lighting systems on the cars, which is quite cool as well. So yeah. like from from the outside, you can tell if it's live or if it's um, if it's dead. Yeah. But it's, it's pretty sketchy at the same time. At least it's not going to blow up like a hydrogen bomb. Yeah, exactly. Any more car questions, Liam? Uh, no, I think that was the right answer, wasn't it? The transit, the transit yeah, custom. Excellent choice. <laughs> yeah. Well, Ken, thank you very much yeah. for your time. Um, yeah. We've overrun massively, which we always love to do. Yeah. And then I'll, I'll talk to Simon while he's here and tell him to get with you guys. And I'm sure he would love to do a podcast with you guys. And um, yeah. Johnny, is it will be a rough one, but... Uh, hopefully after listening to this he'll, he'll want to do it so well we we heard johnny was a bit of a quieter chap so if he if he's interested we're very interested but it might just be me and liam going you're so good how do we be so good <laughs> he's a freak I, I mean when i first met him i thought he was like he's not human and i still think he's not human but um he is definitely one of those people that he just needs to see it one time he'll figure it out it's, it's crazy like it's it's fun to watch. It's fun to it's fun to just ride with him. It's it's a it's amazing. He does that's that's a yeah, both of you actually. When I've watched you ride the videos of you ride and even like the Johnny riding this in the waves, it just looks fun. Yeah. Well all, I'll of tell it, all of it's done to be fun. I'll do a quick one for you. So I'm at Hood River and um and they basically did a full article on the on the races and the AW or it was before AWSI. And they did an article like, hey, Johnny showed up and was tearing it up and blah, blah, blah. And Johnny sends me this this article and he wasn't even there. So we have very similar riding styles because people think I'm oh, him on right. So it was, it's kind of funny how we always we always tell each other we're going somewhere by ourselves. We're, make me look good. Um, because <laughs> a lot of, I don't know who it is. It's either they think it's me or it's either Johnny. So, so it's, no, it's, that's it's, good. Yeah, Same. so that's that's a huge compliment for me, that's, that, but that's not good. for him probably. <laughs> so, 
So it's the same with Freddie and I until you just hear extremely loud swearing and then they go, Oh no, no, that's Freddie. <laughs> yeah, that's Freddie for sure. <laughs> Someone said that who said that to me the other day? Chris said that. He was like, Oh, you were being quite sweary. I was like, mate, that was fucking nothing. That was absolutely nothing. <laughs> anyway yeah thank you for your time yeah we very much appreciate very much appreciate it yeah thank you guys and uh yeah looking forward to hopefully seeing you guys at awsi i'll for sure be there and i'll bring some gear i'd love for you guys to 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 ride it. it's looking increasingly likely uh we're gonna have to start thinking seriously about accommodation i see my idea ken which freddie was less keen for i think at this point it would be funny. Why don't we finish the episode and then I think people will like this because my idea is <laughs> that we book plane tickets without having made any other plans as a commitment that we're going because then we can say oh, to the listeners and be like, look, we've got tickets. Currently, we have no food, no accommodation yeah. and no beers. So we need to get more funding to feed ourselves. <laughs> alcohol ourselves and also provide alcohol to unsuspecting guests of the podcast absolutely that's a great idea i'm ready to pull Um, the trigger but freddie's got reservations do you if you guys need passes if you guys need passes let me know i'll I'll, uh passes what do you mean passes you have to get passes we need passes yeah yeah (laughs) well yeah we better say yes to that then (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, i'll tell tyverse gets you some passes yeah well, I might ping him a message anyway, and just just inquire and just act, like officially say that we are interested in going because presumably he will have heard of us. He must have heard. <laughs> yeah, well, you just have to say Ken said we could stay with you, and you have an. Extra- <laughs> <laughs> All right, will it say that. media on it? Ooh, that would that would make my day. Words will say ozone in your name, um, but. Uh, but it allows you to get into the event when all the manufacturers are there. So you will be able to test gear. Um, you'll be able to like, it, it's, it's, it's worth having. That's important. Sure. Well, there's yeah, certain days that it's open to the public, but I think there's three days it's not. So you definitely want to okay. get a pass. Well, I hope we've, um, I hope we've given you a taste for podcasting, Ken. And, uh, and I hope you go yeah. away excited to jump on more podcasts and tell more stories. Yeah, yeah. I I wanted to listen to the Jesse Richmond one. Um, everybody says it's it's good, so I'm gonna I'm gonna listen to that hopefully in the next couple of days. Excellent. Cool. All right. Don't leave. Chat we'll, to you again. We'll stop recording. <laughs> Let's let it upload. Goodbye, listeners. Goodbye, listeners. Goodbye, listeners.